Hi, this is Jerry Howard and Jim Tobin, and we welcome you to Housing Developments. Big news uh, came out just yesterday, Jim, that I think our listeners will find fascinating. Vice President Biden uh, announced his choice for his running mate. What do you think? He picked U.S. Senator from California, Kamala Harris, to join him on the ticket. I think, I think for the Democrats, it's a great choice. Former Vice President Biden had already talked about his desire and his intention to bring a woman on the ticket. Uh, and I think Kamala Harris solves a lot of uh, the party's uh, interest in uh, not only a woman, but a woman of color, uh, and also someone who's got a law and order background and, and some work uh, legislating as well. Let's talk a little bit about Senator Harris. Um, what did she stand for? She, she ran for president. She did pretty poorly in the presidential primaries. <laughs> in fact, in the, de- the primary debates, she was almost belligerent at times. Uh, what is she like? What does she stand for? What was her campaign based on? Well, I think when she was uh, in her, her presidential campaign, like most of the candidates in that field, she tacked to the left, but she, uh, she tried to set herself up as, as broad a, a stroke as possible. She talked a lot about her, her experience as California's attorney general and being a law and order candidate, uh, but she also had some uh, housing policies that we took a look at uh, at the time. Uh, she wanted to make sure that the black home ownership rate uh, which is the, the, the lowest of, of all the minority home ownership rates, making sure that she put policies in place uh, that could help uh, families of color get into home ownership, whether it was earmarking uh, billions of dollars for federal grants so it could help with down payments uh, or strengthening anti-discrimination laws. She really was focused on the home ownership rate for African-Americans, uh, as well as, well as uh, you know tax credits for people uh, to help afford a home. And she also also had a renter tax credit as well to make sure that, that people could afford high rents, obviously coming from California, where home ownership and rental prices are through the roof. It makes sense why she would want to use the, the government budget to help people out. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that uh, tax credit that she wanted to give for housing was uh, $500 a month for any family earning less than $100,000 a year. I think that's I don't know that there's a single state in the union that has an average family income of 100000 a year or more. That seems to go pretty high up into the middle class. How did that play? How was that received, that idea? Well, I mean, I think it was like anything. Uh, you know, this campaign was about climate change and health care more than, more than housing, unfortunately. So I don't know. She, she talked a little bit about it in a couple of debates where housing came up. Uh, but I think from where we sit, uh, we've always been opposed to rental tax credits. Uh, because all they do is really force up the cost of renting. You, you know that rents are just going to go up if landlords and folks know that the government's going to give you $500 to help pay for that rent. What we've always focused on, and when we talked to her office in the campaign, was about how do you reduce the cost to developing and building those properties? That's the best way to decrease rents and help people afford uh, those properties. That's pretty interesting. So it's fair to say, I guess, in terms of this campaign that Senator Harris and Vice President Biden are fairly similar in their views toward housing. And those views are very reflective of sort of what you would expect from progressive Democrats. Uh, And and check me if I'm wrong here. And that is uh, more subsidies to a broader number of people for both uh, home ownership and for rental. Yeah, that's right. It's plain uh, that, that we are going to see, uh, and, and this is certainly something that, that former Vice President and Senator 
Biden's campaign has talked about, which is clawing back the Trump tax cuts and using that money to create large uh, social welfare programs, uh, and housing is one of those. So uh, we're, we're going to be on the lookout if Vice President uh, Biden is successful, how we can help shape those policies, but also make sure that they're balanced and we continue to push the importance of low regulatory environment to help control the cost of housing uh, and to make sure that opportunities are open for everybody, especially not just the low end. We don't want to just talk about affordable housing. We want to make sure we're talking about that first time home buyer or that, that, that first move up, that move up home buyer who's, you know, their families are expanding. What we, what we want to talk about here is, is, is housing for everyone. We want to talk about housing affordability, not affordable housing. Exactly. And that's what we've been driving home for years now. Uh, and it sounds like for our listeners that uh, as you'd expect in such a galvanized uh, political uh, environment, such a polarized political environment, uh, th- that the democratic perspective on this is to insert more money directly into the stream and the Republican perspective represented by President Trump is to uh, lower regulations and lower the cost. Very interesting philosophical debate uh, and one that I think we're going to see play out for for quite some time now. Let me ask you this though, Jim, Uh, you and your team have worked with uh, Senator Harris on the Hill. Uh, What did she stand for up there? Is there anything telling uh, about her experience as a legislator uh, that our listeners would find interesting? Uh, you know, she's been, she's been generally quiet. She's only, she's only been in the Senate for a few years now. So for her, she, she's generally new. I think you, what you saw just about a year ago, you saw her really make her, uh, make her bones with her uh, grilling of uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and, and her work on the Judiciary Committee. So that's really where we've had our, our, our real a taste of her before she launched campaign. So if she does become the vice president, I think we have some things to work with her on. They're going to be left-leaning, progressive. Then again, I think that there's some ideas that like the low-income housing tax credit or some of those where we can work with her in a great way to make sure that we can we have some balance in housing policy in the U.S. and across all of our policies. Well, then let's go a little further back. What about as attorney general? Did, did she do anything that... Uh... Uh, that we find intriguing uh, in her tenure there. Uh, you know, she she was uh, she was involved with some banking issues and how she handled the foreclosure crisis. She gets some criticism for her her record out there, uh, particularly the the One West Bank, which was uh, run by now Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who was accused of or actually had to foreclose on thousands of homeowners in California. She claimed that uh, she didn't have the legal ability to sue the bank. So she's faced some criticism for that, for not taking a harder line in the housing crisis. But that has generally been the tenor for any any attorney general or, or anything coming out of that housing crisis that banks and, and the executives in, in particular weren't uh, weren't held to, uh, to the, the law and order standard that many would expect that some pe- some people should have gone to jail for the crisis. But I think in in, in general, her her law and order and law background uh, is is really going to come come into play, especially since uh, we've seen large swaths of social unrest and, and a real focus on, on justice issues in the, over the last six months. Well, it, it, it's an interesting choice, uh, a historic choice, um, and one that I think our, our listeners will find uh, very intriguing as we move forward. Uh, I anticipate um, that, as is always the case, <clears throat> when an announcement like this is made, you'll see a uh, uh, an immediate leap in the polls for whatever candidate announces their vice presidential choice. There's always a 
a big bounce after that. I think we'll see that right away. And then uh, we'll see how this plays out, uh, how the Republicans respond and how they counter uh, her views going forward. Uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be very interesting. It's equally interesting, Jim, because this is coming at a time where right now housing is, is really, really strong. Uh, I, I know that with the data we have most recently, uh, we hired almost 680,000 people into the construction se uh, segment in, in May, uh, and another, um, another almost 500,000 uh, in June. So I think that uh, we're really showing that residential construction is driving growth, uh, and I know that you and I will be working hard with both campaigns to make sure that they understand that uh, and that they are engaged in helping us keep those, those costs down. And by the way, speaking of, of, of growth in our industry, uh, I want to thank our EO in Columbia, South Carolina today, Earl McLeod, who uh, had a meeting with former uh, acting chief of staff to the president, Mick Mulvaney, and he shared with Mr. Mulvaney our letter to the president on lumber prices. And That's Mulvaney great. is committed to hand delivering it to the vice president. Uh, we are leaving no rock unturned with our federation. Earl, thanks a lot. We really appreciate what you did. Done like a true Gamecock. Right, yeah. Jim? That's right. Speaking of South Carolina, and Earl, obviously, appreciate the help. You know, we're all in this together uh, as we, you know, we talk about with the Federation. But, you know, one thing, Jerry, what about the speculation that your, uh, your home state, former home state governor, Nikki Haley, is going to replace Mike Pence on the, on the Trump ticket? Because they need to, as you said, how are they going to react to the, uh, react to the Kamala Harris pick? What do you think? I had heard that rumor today, and um, because of Earl, uh, I, I had the privilege of not only meeting with then-Governor Haley, but sitting with her at a dinner. She is an incredibly bright woman, uh, incredibly well-versed on the issues. She certainly has a future in the Republican Party. But my experience in politics is, uh, particularly in the Republican uh, side, is people have to wait their turn. And... Uh, I just think that this would be something that has never been done in Republican politics. Of course, that's not going to carry any weight whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let me really me this, man. So one of the things they're not talking about with Kamala Harris is the fact that she is now the de facto nominee for the party if Joe Biden wins. Now, I don't think Joe, now Joe Biden's 77 years old, I think maybe 78. He's already indicated that maybe he won't run for or serve a second term. But look ahead to 20 and 2024. Kamala Harris, obviously, she's 55 years old. She does a great job of balancing the ticket from an experience perspective. She essentially is going to be the nominee for the party, don't you think? And what does that mean to all the other people that, as you say, wanted to line up? That stage was packed with, with 24 candidates at one point. You know they're all chomping at the bit. Democrats have been less traditional in that aspect of their nomination procedures than Republicans have been. I don't think there's a, the same sort of a mindset of pay your dues, wait your turn, you'll get your chance. Um, so I think that if Harris is not vice president, or even if she is vice president and Biden doesn't run, she will become the de facto leader of the Democratic Party, there's no question about it, and becomes the odds-on favorite for the 2024 nomination. Now, in 2024, if Biden-Harris win this election, that means it's wide open in 2024. Yeah. Vice President Pence does become the de facto leader of the party, but I believe that you would see Republicans lining up yeah. from hither and yon. Yeah. Uh, in that case, 
Nikki Haley becomes a very attractive counterbalance to a senator or vice president, Kamala Harris, because Governor Haley is obviously also a woman, also a minority, and also has incredible experience uh, as the chief executive of a state uh, and as ambassador to the UN. Her domestic and economic chops are every bit as strong as her foreign affairs chops. That's right. That would be one heck of a campaign. Four years from now, you yeah. and I'll make some predictions on it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great observation. I, I think we're entering into a pretty interesting phase in, in politics here. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on November third. Well, stay tuned, listeners. Uh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here talking about 2024 <laughs> when we're in the midst of the 2020 campaign. But in, in some ways, that's what you pay Jim and I to do is right. uh, think longer term. Uh, and we will go back to thinking short term. Uh, and we look forward to speaking with you again in the next couple of weeks on the next episode of Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.